Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Today, my Reasonable Voice guest and a reasonable voice in what is going on in our environment and energy production is none other than the Vice President of Consumer Energy Alliance, Bryden Ross. Bryden Ross is the Vice President of State Affairs for the Consumer Energy Alliance, CEA. He previously served as the Director of Energy and Environmental Policy for the Council of State Governments and as the Interim Executive Director of the Association of Air Pollution Control Agencies. So, Bryden, welcome to the show. How are you? Marcello, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to talking to you since Meredith and I made contact with one another. So I guess let's go right to it. What does Consumer Energy Alliance feel about Virginia lawmakers introducing the Defend Our Coast Act, which proposes banning offshore drilling in the Mid-Atlantic, where I sometimes live? <laughs> well... Marcello, I want to tell you a little bit about CA. I'm happy to get into some of the specifics as well in the legislation. We are a nonpartisan organization uh, that advocates for consumers and families and small businesses and, and folks on fixed incomes across the country. We've got over 500,000 grassroots members nationwide, about 23,000 in Virginia, and, and several thousand more across the mid-Atlantic. So we're all the above. We support everything. We support our renewable energy development and production, including offshore wind as well in Virginia and along the coast. You know, our concerns really are just sort of the blanket nature of how the, the legislation is drafted. You know, we, we certainly want to protect our environment. Uh, we've got our members that live in the coast as well. Uh, but the way this overly kind of broad written legislation is drafted, it really would take out any opportunities at all for any sort of common sense solutions on the coast. And that includes looking at it for all our energy resources. That means we need everything, including oil and gas, in addition to renewables. And unfortunately, this strikes a really broad band across the entire region that would stretch you know, several thousand square miles from all the way up from the Delmarva all the way down to the coast of Georgia. Mm. Okay. 
So I guess you really jumped into my next question, which was what CEA's position on energy uh, diversification? Sure. No, we, we believe we need everything. So we have members who are across the board literally on everything. So that means nuclear, coal, natural gas, renewables, energy efficiency, you know, onshore and offshore renewables as well. So there's so much so much happening around the around the energy space, you know, battery storage technology as well, smart grid development. You know, from our perspective, we want to get to yes on energy. And that means, you know, we're going to need a broad portfolio of resources to do that as well as infrastructure to actually deliver those resources to, to the communities and, and neighborhoods and marketplaces that need that need them. And you know, we're going to touch on this a lot because it's a big issue for me, but people need to understand, I, I'm only a part-time Northern Virginia resident, but I have to say that Virginia is a huge state in the sense that there is North Virginia, as my friends tell me, North Virginia, there's Central Virginia, and there's Southwestern Virginia, and they are very mm-hmm. different in, in, every, in every way that you can imagine, the environmental interests, uh, concerns, educational concerns. So I get a sense that you guys at CEA seem to be mm-hmm. very much aware of that. So, but still my question is, why is a ban on offshore drilling a bad idea in the Mid-Atlantic specifically? Well, the, the way that the legislation is drafted it would prohibit any sort of activity at all anywhere in the Mid-Atlantic planning region. So if you if you actually go and look at some of the federal maps, you know the way they divide up our coast at the Department of the Interior, um, they've got what they call planning areas. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, what that does is let the federal government sort of divide, you know, on a they kind of base it off state lines and geographical areas as well, all the way out to the exclusive economic zone. And so for your listeners, that's basically from your state waters, which are three miles all the way out to 200 miles in the exclusive economic zone or international you know, boundaries. So mm-hmm. it won't go all the way up to 200 all the way around the United States. If you go down to Florida, you know, you, you, you abut the, you know, the Bahamas and Cuba as well, so it won't go all the way out there. But these are huge, huge areas. And so I think from our perspective, it is such an overly broad uh, blanket ban that really doesn't look at some of the real advancements and developments that we can have. And from our perspective, uh, we recognize that obviously there are cultural differences across across states and across regions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but what this legislation does is take that decision out of everybody's hand. Mm-hmm. And so these are federal waters that we're not just talking about Virginia waters at three miles or inside of that. Mm-hmm. We're talking all the way out to the exclusive economic zone into federal waters that belong to everybody, mm-hmm. and that belong to everybody in Virginia, belong to everybody. If you look at the, the Mid Atlantic states now, I mean that's really North Carolina. The way that the map's drawn up. North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, you know, Delaware, that's making a decision for everybody in that state. And so from our perspective, we, we think there's a, a more thoughtful way to construct a, a sort of a compromise out here uh, when it comes to, we understand there's sensitivities out there with, with, with states and with policymakers, but the way this legislation is, is drafted, it takes out every opportunity that's there, and regardless of what the resource estimate might be. Hmm. The resource estimate, it's an interesting and telling choice of words. I, you know, I know many of the, the Virginia delegates and, and state senators, indeed many of them have been on this program. I wonder, um, are they acting under pressure from environmentalists? Are they overreacting, in your opinion? Is there a an anti-development group, in your opinion, out there? I mean, I feel like, I mean, I come to this 
uh, as a liberal Democrat. I admit that, and people know it. Mm-hmm. And and I am concerned about the environment and climate change and all of that. But in prepping for this program to talk to you, I really get an impression of someone who's trying to find balance, which my grandmama always said was the most important word in the English language. But um, And I'm getting that from this conversation, too, by the way. So are you fighting multi-fronts uh, here? Is, uh, are you caught in the middle? Uh, tell me. Well, there are certainly organizations out there that want to see these sort of sort of blanket bans and prohibitions, and they, they have been active and in going out you know, into communities to, to share their perspectives, you know, either at city councils or county commissions and the like. We don't think that's been a very balanced perspective mm-hmm. in, in many cases in these discussions. Um, and certainly understand, you know, that people have concerns, want to learn more information and the like. Uh, unfortunately, it's been a very one-sided conversation, in our opinion, mm-hmm. about that inner future that you can have offshore. And we think, unfortunately, there are people, I mean, look, everyone's got opinions and perspectives, and we respect those, but we think we ought to have at least some, some honest and apples-to-apples discussions about what what sort of conversation we really need to be having when it comes to offshore, when we say blanket nose to everything, mm. um, what that means, and what that means for consumers, what that means for families who are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, over 11% of Virginian households, you know, like you said, Virginia's a very different state. Yes. But once you get outside of those really affluent areas in Northern Virginia, uh, there are a lot of people struggling to make ends meet. Mm. And when we say no to carte blanche, to any sort of discussion about energy development, whether it be oil, natural gas, wind, pick your energy resource, that's a very limiting conversation in our opinion. And what that does over time, when you say no to everything, that really puts that upward pressure on prices for people who, who have to pay, you know, gas bills heat and, and monthly uh, utility bills and have to get to and from work, you may not have mass transit options, you know, at their at their disposal, especially if you're talking about Southwest Virginia. Yes. You know, there's no metro station out in, in Wise, Virginia, mm. or out in, uh, you know, out in the Shenandoah Valley. So uh, people still have to drive, you know, sometimes very long distances to get to work. And if we don't think long term about wh- where we want to go as a country, we're shutting those options off. And, and not to, to, to go too long here, I, I was around long enough uh, when I was doing energy issues on the Hill years ago. You know, we, this concept of like peak oil and these other ideas that came out that people thought, look, $150 barrel oil is where we were going to go. Yes. That's where our world was going to be. And our, and our world was predetermined. And it was a pretty scary, scary idea of where we're going to go. If you look at the bad old days in 2008. We were paying over four dollars a gallon for gasoline, and mm. it had a crippling effect on our economy. Yes. In terms of the economic downturn, and everything else. You know, Virginians now are paying about two oh six, compared to the all-time high of four dollars and ten cents. And and the reason we are there now is because we went out and we looked for that energy, and we found it from the energy renaissance that we've had in this country. So the average person in Virginia, if you're saving over two bucks a gallon, let's say it's two bucks right now, mm-hmm. you know, if you're filling up that you know Toyota Camry or whatever, that's about a fifteen-gallon fill-up. Without even thinking about inflation, you're saving over thirty bucks every time you go to the pump if you're if you're filling up that tank. That, that's a, a a real difference in somebody's life, and so that's something we'd like to bring you know, at, at least uh, that sort of perspective when we have these conversations when it comes to energy development. So that savings, in your opinion, comes from what? From from, from those savings because of supplies that we have in this country. Uh-huh. It, it, incredible amounts of supply we brought online. And so uh, we no longer, every time there's a problem or a flare-up in the Middle East, we're not seeing gigantic spikes in the futures market uh, on the price of crude oil like we used to see you know, just 10 years ago. 
I mean, every time something happened, you would see a jump there. And so we don't have those sort of pressures now. And that's because we went out and we looked for energy in this country, and we found it largely you know, from onshore production and hydraulic fracturing. You know, but you got to think, too, that we've also got a lot of these resources offshore. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to develop those resources. And so what happens when we put these blanket bans on looking for anything or, or even considering, okay, maybe we don't want to hear, but maybe we can live with it over here. But let's, have, let's see what the technology says. If we say no to everything, we're really shutting off our options down the road. Mm-hmm. So that is really our concern is that we're not really getting a full and balanced picture of, of what we really have on our energy landscape down the road. Yes, that, uh, that uh, supply and demand answer is what I wanted. I knew you would say that, but I wanted everyone to hear that. It makes logical sense. I know, if, as you, and I agree with you, if people start from a fixed position, then they're not listening. And if you're not listening, nothing grows. And, and we should remind, although you certainly have said this a number of times, but we are now developing and harvesting, if that's a good way, energy resources at a much higher rate than we have in decades. Yes? Am I exaggerating? How is that? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, no. We, we are setting production records that we haven't, we've, we've broken the 1970s records. We're doing that now, I'm mm-hmm. sure, absolutely. Okay, and so the more we have, the less it costs, if that always works, although the prices seem to go up at holidays when you're going to yeah. travel, but that's not your fault. There are supply demand limitations, and it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, generally speaking, the law of economics tell you when you have more of a supply, prices tend to come down. Okay, all right then. So you've thrown out wind power a number of times, mm-hmm. and of course... And I'm on your side. I'm on the side of any moderate who's, who is uh, looking at all the possibilities. But you also said, in addition to wind energy, you mentioned fracking. And uh, there are just too many people out there, that the moment that word is said, and oil pipelines, etc., with some justification, I have to admit, uh, I feel, that, that kind of closes the, the conversation. What, are you, what is CEA going to do about that? Well, I think from our perspective, we're trying to, one, demystify some of these energy conversations and and get past some of these, like you said, these these limiting discussions that people have that Mm -hmm. that I think, one, providing a a fuller picture of what's really out there, one, two, getting rid of some of the jargon that I think people use. And I think, unfortunately, the energy industry at large is filled with with too many acronyms. It's alphabet soup oftentimes. Yes, yes. Uh, It's filled with um, highly technical jargon, frankly, that only engineers can understand. Mm. And so from from our perspective, we want to communicate in plain English to regular people. Mm -hmm. Uh, From our perspective, we're we're a pro-energy organization. We advocate for for an all-the-above policy. That means everything. Mm -hmm. So that means uh, getting past maybe some of the preconceived notions that people might have. Or answering those questions, or, or at least encouraging some more, uh, some more research, or, or to find more information, or at least help guide people into looking for the answers that, that may help them out when it comes to the, the energy resources they they want to support. You know, from our perspective, we think we need everything, mm-hmm. and when you do that, when you have a balanced portfolio, yes, you've got options. When you have options, you can respond to problems, whether that be a transmission problem from electricity or a fuel uh, diversity issue that you might have. Uh, but when you have options, you have ways to respond to problems, crises, issues, or opportunities. Yes. And so I, I think, one, uh, unfortunately, there are groups out there that want to demonize and polarize on energy in this discussion that assume that you know it's, we have to have a limiting conversation 
and only my way is 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 is, is being on the side of the angels. And, and frankly, um, that's just not accurate. And then two, we're never really going to get anywhere as a country if we don't stop and listen to each other and figure out, okay, how do we move forward from those kind of well entrenched perspectives you know, to keep lights on for people and keep it affordable as well and, and drive to that cleaner energy future that people want. Well, you know, Brandon Ross, I got to tell you that. Um hearing anyone approach something uh, moderately with a sense of balance and a desire to communicate with all POVs is welcome uh, because there's just so much divide in the country. We're going to take a short break. Uh, this is um, this has been exciting because uh, when I, when I uh, schedule uh, the Vice President of State Affairs for Consumer Energy Alliance, I wondered what the conversation was going to be like, and I got to tell you, I'm most impressed. Stay with us. I know you are too, and we'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Imagine that one day another planet like ours should appear on the horizon. This is the setting for the surprisingly human, spare little story of Another Earth. Driving under the influence, young would-be astrophysicist Rhoda is distracted by sighting a new planet on the horizon. She collides with another car, killing the family of John Burroughs. Years later, upon her release from prison, Rhoda seeks redemption by visiting John's home, only to find a lonely, broken man. By now, it has been determined that the new planet is part of a parallel universe, an exact duplicate of our own, even peopled by our exact twins. However, when the two worlds interact, paths begin to diverge. Could it be possible to travel to the new planet? To take up a life not yet shattered by loss? Could Rhoda find absolution by starting over? Forget the preposterous science here and even the science fiction. The more intimate focus in another Earth is on the questions we ask ourselves every day. If I could begin again and do it right, what would I do? And, if I could step outside myself and take a good look, whom would I see? Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio News Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. I'm happy to say that my guest today is Bryden Ross. He's the Vice President of State Affairs for Consumer Energy Alliance, that's CEA. And uh, he's had a lot of uh, Washington, D.C. connections and involvement in the environment and, uh, and, and issues that could impact on the environment, particularly on the less affluent. Bryden, I wonder about the politics in this. Did you feel that the three Virginia, for instance, just use them as an example, the three Virginia members of the General Assembly in Virginia who promoted this bill, was their approach balanced? That is, are they balanced politically? Is it bipartisan, is my question. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I think we've seen, you know, depending on kind of which bills that are out there, and there's certainly no, no shortage of, of different bills flying around the General Assembly, but... You know, when it comes to Congress, you know, the, I know the recent bill that we had uh, some, some folks uh, file there from Virginia and North Carolina. Um, yes, there are absolutely some folks on both sides of the aisle who've got really strong feelings on this issue. I, I don't know of anybody 
he can completely divorce policy away from politics. We know that's always going to have some sort of role to play. Yes. You know, at CEA, we, we, we really try our best. Uh, we, we don't do politics, don't say vote for this guy or that that gal or you know what we care about really is 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 yes on energy mm-hmm. uh and so we've got you know i can tell you we've got bipartisan support from people across the country when it comes to all types of energy development whether that's offshore or onshore mm. renewables you name it traditional forms of energy so i mean it's not any surprise you're going to find people from different political perspectives who line up on issues it happens a lot of it can be regional mm-hmm. um, you know for, from our perspective you know we we think Energy is, fortunately, it can be can still be a nonpartisan issue. I mean, it's it's changing a little bit. I wish it, it wasn't the case, but you can really find some commonality um, out in the highways and byways if you go and look for it uh, when it comes to energy policy. Because look, everyone, um, with the exception of a handful of people, they all pay a power bill. They all pay a gas bill of yes. some type or heat for home heating. They all usually have to pay some sort of either it's a transportation bill or that's getting to and from work, whether it's mass transit or driving your car. I mean, there's a lot of shared experiences that people have. We know that different regions are going to have different policies, but I can say we really, really tried hard to go out and, and talk to people really at a kind of basic level about the importance of energy development in this country and, and keeping really a mindset, really our focus is on energy affordability and reliability. And so if, if, you, if you approach it from that perspective, it's amazing what, what sort of fruitful conversations you can have mm. uh, with people, regardless if they're R, D, or I, or unaffiliated after their name. Yes. Well, I agree. In, in Virginia, everyone knows, uh, or at least Virginians know, there is still a big fight going on about the uh, Dominion's um, pipeline going through farmlands that... Uh, you know, and again, I, I know many of these people personally, as well as, as guests on the show, but I think if you approach, if the first thing out of your mouth is oil and gasoline, then the divide is sort of sets in. But I wonder if you could talk about, because you've mentioned this, electricity, number one, but also how wind, energy of the wind can be, can benefit from what uh, CEA is talking about, the balance you're seeking. Sure. Yeah, no, th- those are both really good questions, you know, and I think uh, I'll and I'll if you want me to circle back on one, I'll, I'll because those are, they're they're deep questions uh-huh. um, as it relates to, to offshore. You know, one of the, our concerns that we have when you get again to these sort of blanket uh, no discussions, you know, we're going to have prohibitions and bans. One of the things you have to do before you put any sort of infrastructure anywhere offshore, mm-hmm. you have to do size testing. You have to actually know what's underneath the the surface of the ocean before you are ever going to put a gigantic wind turbine out there. Mm. Uh, one, for safety reasons. Two, you don't want to put it on top of any sort of, of, of you know, geologic deposit you know, that, may, that may have subsidence or may shift. Or if there is, a, for safety reasons as well, um, you just don't go out and start constructing anything offshore without knowing what's actually underneath the, the ocean surface. And mm. so um, that requires seismic surveys. And so what we have seen from a lot of these groups who are pushing some of these bands say no to seismic surveys in the Atlantic as well. Mm. Well, how are you ever going to site wind turbines offshore without doing these surveys? It can't be done. And so people aren't going to make those sort of you know, large-scale investments without really knowing if, if one, it, is it the proper place to do it from a safety standpoint? Um, and two, from an engineering standpoint, you know, if you're going to invest millions and millions of dollars you better be darn well sure what's what's going on out there. So that I think is one of those great questions that kind of gets lost in these sort of blanket 
blanket offshore prohibitions. It also prohibits this sort of testing. You know, and and I, this is not my information here. This is from the Obama administration's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. You know, they, they have not found any evidence of seismic testing harming marine life at all. Never mm. happened. That, that's not me saying this. That's the Obama administration, but these same groups, unfortunately, peddle this notion that if you do seismic testing, um, that you are gonna, you're going to harm the environment. Well, how else do you ever build offshore wind turbines if you don't do seismic testing? I mean, this is where these really kind of difficult conversations that people kind of have to get past when it comes to this you know, purity test on, on policy positions. Mm. You know, if we're going to get there, that's going to require some give and take. And, I, and I'll, I'll give you another good example as it relates to wind and, and coming back to the pipeline discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, where are a lot of our windiest areas onshore often happen to be way, you know, like the Rocky Mountains is a great example. Yes. Huge amounts of wind that you have out there, out in Wyoming and in the Plains as well. But where do the people live? Mm. You know, the people live in Los Angeles or they live in Chicago or your Kansas City or pick, pick your area. Mm-hmm. You, the electrons don't arrive to those areas via, you know, osmosis. You have to build transmission lines to do that. And so if you're ever going, you can, you can site large projects till the cows come home. But if you don't actually cite transmission lines, whether those are for wind you know, on electricity or for pipelines as well, you are never going to get those electrons to the marketplace where they're needed. And so we've had some real hardships in this country building transmission lines. And that's one of the things that people don't, you know, everyone is for a lot of great sounding PR ideas, but then comes the hard part of actually delivering on that. And so that's one of the real challenges that we've had because we've, we've been a big you know, supporter of wind. It's, it's getting really hard to build any infrastructure in this country, whether that's a pipeline or a transmission line. And so we've got to get past some of these, some of these talking points and actually get down to, like, do you actually want to have this, this energy future you, you keep saying you want? Because if, if you say that, that means we've got to do the hard part and build the infrastructure. You know, that is an, an exceptional answer. Bright, and I'm so glad I asked the questions because I, I knew I knew you were going to come at me with some good stuff, but I, I hadn't thought. I'm sure, as you're saying, like most people, I hadn't thought about. Well, of course, the infrastructure needs to be there. It's, you you can't just snap your fingers, and there has to be research and development, as or research as well yeah. as development. Obviously, I know you um, you uh, you folks at the. Uh, uh, CEA are pursuing a number of campaigns. I mean, it's not just the Commonwealth of Virginia. But can you tell sure. us something about the various campaigns around the country and why, or or even stick with the Mid-Atlantic? I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, that's the thing. There's no shortage of energy issues around the country, so we get involved in a variety of discussions, uh, whether they be um, you know offshore oil and gas development, like we're talking about here, mm-hmm. onshore wind that we spend a lot of time in across the states. You know, we have a campaign, Solar Energy Future, as well, uh, where we provide uh, information to, uh, to folks who are, who are interested in, in solar development, you know, whether that be for rooftop solar or large utility-scale projects as well. Onshore oil and gas production, you know, uh, 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 nuclear energy as well. So we, we get involved in everything. And so we have members across, uh, across the spectrum mm-hmm. uh, because we're a big, broad, diverse country. So we're going to have a lot of different energy issues that are out there. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, again, our basic me- you know, philosophy is we go engage on something for energy affordability and reliability. That means bringing energy to the marketplace and doing it as inexpensively as we can, but also thinking about 
what, what consumers want in terms of a cleaner energy future as well. It's a changing dynamic right now. It's an exciting time to be in energy um, in general. I can tell you when I started doing this stuff years ago, energy was sort of an afterthought for a lot of people. That's changed considerably mm. over the last 10 years, and yes. I think that's exciting. Yes. Well, I have to say I find it exciting too, and I, I just think that, um, again, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, but what I'm loving that I'm hearing from you is that you are trying to educate us about all forms of energy resources and number one that we need to provide them for ourselves so we're not dependent on shall we say less stable geography but Correct. yeah but but what um what because i know these are the things uh, these are the kinds of questions i would guess that you run into wherever you go but how does protecting the environment negatively impact on a state's economy and affect offshore wind energy? Sure. Yeah. From our perspective, you can do both. And we think, unfortunately, there's been, I think, a false choice given to people is that you can either be for energy development or for protecting the environment. You can't do both. Mm. Um, we, we think that's a false choice at mm-hmm. CEA. We think you can develop your energy resources and do it in an environmentally responsible way. And that requires input from everybody, but I think it also means that we can't have absolutes when it comes to these sort of discussions. And that's what we talked about earlier, is that if there are people out there who, who, don't, if, if, who don't want to move at all off that position, that mm-hmm. there's some sort of idea like it's a zero-sum game when it comes to energy. We, we can't have that in this country. And so if there are concerns with production in a certain area or the way it's delivered, okay, then the answer isn't say no to everything. The answer is like, okay, what can we do to either address this concern, avoid this impact, or mitigate it? And if that's from our perspective at CEA, because we, we've got to get out of the, this idea that if, if one side gets what they want, then I'm losing, yes. or vice versa. Yes, and that's kind of where we are now. Unfortunately, is that there isn't what what used to. And we talked about this earlier. What used to be considered sort of common sense and the way things worked, you know, on a bipartisan basis that we had in this country, that it, that's breaking down. Unfortunately, when it comes to some of these energy and environmental siting issues and construction yes. issues and policy issues, that we got to think bigger than that. And, and unfortunately, we we don't get that full, rich discussion. 140 characters on mm. social media and the like. That mm. it's just a lot easier to PR and sloganeer rather than to think about the, the hard, the hard questions. And, and from our perspective, what does that mean for regular people? Yes. And so that's kind of how we approach it. And and kind of back to your original question, that look, there are certainly you know, costs associated with with environmental mitigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if we can get to that that positive outcome that that works for everybody, that's where we we want to approach it. I think from our our worry is that everything is a no now. If it's not perfect, it's no. Mm. And we want to remind people that, look, if you want to get to a zero emissions energy future with zero costs or zero downsides or zero negative implications, that's way off. That's point Z. Mm. We're at point A. Mm. And we got to go from A, B, C, D, E, and F all the way down, all those letters to hit Z. And, and if we're not willing to make that sort of incremental progress and it's, it's got to be perfect or nothing, we're never going to get there. And so that, that's our, our message from CEA when it, comes to, uh, when, it, when it comes to those issues. What is, it, what is that uh, saying, perfect is the en- enemy of better or something enemy like that? Enemy of the good. Yeah, for the yeah, good, yeah, yes. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. That's right, that's right. Well, I hear you. And, um, and, I'm, and, I, and 
as I'm, I'm going to be honest about it, because in prepping for this interview, I, I wasn't necessarily a disciple, but you have won me over, and, and, and which is an easy thing because I believe in moderation. I believe, obviously, in communication. I believe in listening. Uh, you know, I'm a director, so I, I direct actors all the time, and they, when when I get lots of questions, my answer is is often is listen to what the other character is saying. That will tell you how to respond. Okay, well. I guess we've been talking all along, we must go, but this has been thrilling. We've been talking all along about an all-of-the-above energy policy. I don't know where I got that phrase, somewhere from researching on you, but um, who are who are the big winners? Take us out on that, and, and then let us know websites and whatever, how how we can, sure. uh, you know, get in touch with you guys and learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, I would say the big winners here, really the American people, um, we live in a country that's blessed with a lot of natural resources and really smart people who are figuring out ways to deliver those energy resources more cheaply, more efficiently, and more cleanly than we've ever thought possible, and that's happening in real time. That's, that, that, to me, is an exciting thing to know. I want your listeners to take that away, kind of wherever they fall on the gamut, that we can, we can protect the environment and develop our energy resources at the same time and get to yes on energy so I would encourage people to go to our website, consumerenergyalliance.org, or on Facebook and all the different social media sites. Check out those campaigns and, and see what we've got there. You know, we love your feedback and input, and we'd love to work with people on common sense solutions to, 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 to helping out consumers, families, and small businesses around the country. And are you literally, your representatives at Consumer Energy Alliance, going door-to-door, holding sort of TED Talk uh, versions of your... How yeah, do you, we, go we ahead. Do, do all sorts of things. So whether that's um, you know interaction on you know, with different blogs and reports and all things you see online to actual, we've done different community um, meetings as well. We go out and engage policymakers at the state, local, and federal level, and also have done you know when invited, we will we'll come talk to anybody. So well, we really appreciate the opportunity. We're a nationwide organization, have regional chapters around the country with folks who are based in, uh, out in the, the, the highways and byways where people are. So, uh, yeah, so we, the, the answer is that yes to all that. Okay, because I wanted people to know, and they, they should get in touch with you at consumerenergyalliance.org, but they should also reach out not only for more information, but the possibility of actually hearing from you directly. Uh, sure. Uh, okay, excellent. All right. Happy to do it. Absolutely. All right. It's been a great experience uh, having a, this conversation with you. We've been uh, listening to, which is the key here, I think, the message from all of this, if we listen more to each other, we have been having a conversation of mutual listening with Bryden Ross, uh, the Vice President of State Affairs for Consumer Energy Alliance, that's CEA. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation and are encouraged to visit their website, find out more, and invite them to come talk to you. You can ask your own questions. You don't just need to listen to me. How's that? Uh, that sounds great. Now, Marcello, thank you for the, the chance to speak with you and really appreciate the opportunity to dialogue with you today. It's been a great conversation on our end, too. Thank you. Very much appreciate your being our guest. You take care and all the Absolutely. best. Bye now. Yes, sir. All right, take care. Right, bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to the Indy Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. 
Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indy Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. For trumped upper financial echelon, we the people are expendable. Exposure of a non-secured Kushner, Trump-Pence regime, sorely lacking necessary acumen for national security and empathetic humanity, Roger Stone that, is not the only teachable moment amidst a contrived American hostage situation. Momentarily discharged from latest extreme right-wing schooling and still understandably stunned by a hallucinatory president, can we please affirm the last thing America needs is another billionaire with no government experience claiming he's the cream in our coffee? The gold standard silver lining of Trump's shutdown of reason is we now know almost a million young and senior genders of every race, color, heritage, and political and sexual persuasions were joined together, united in food lines, depending on the kindness of strangers, and, provided we cure our short-term memory loss, once the cash flow returns, we just might start talking and doing something about America's caste system. For starters, let's re-gift this cold water in our face to myopic news media with a resounding reunification proclamation. Deliver factual news awareness that raises to the ground all walls inciting self-fulfilling prophecies. Thus armed with information, not hyped conjectured opinion, we can progress beyond trumped-up malicious manifested malignancy. We, the expendable, matured now by the knowledge that the American dream is not limited to the nightmare of a self-serving Trump organization, but remains the invitation to our future to undo the horrors of our past. A nation lacking any semblance of income parity between male and female, nurses and doctors, teachers and sports players, is no land of the free. Democrats, if we're different from Republicans, admit America's walls existed long before Donald Trump accidentally fell into the lap of concrete underbelly thinking and advance our global glacial climate and mental health economic thinking to actionable awareness. 
United Democrats can best help all Americans see beyond the Trump-Pence era to not only stop drinking leftover trickle-down Kool-Aid, but to educate all that Americans living paycheck to paycheck know more about budgets, income, taxes, and economic recovery than those responsible for the Bush-Cheney recession and Trump-Pence Mnuchin deficits. The ultimate lesson at the heart of our longest government shutdown is too much wealth collected in state houses and Congress by Wall Street rentals has blinded power seekers to the fact that we are neither chattel nor pawns, when not easily distracted by the glitz of the greedy protecting their need for our overconsumerism. We are more than the soulless who crave a craven White House and those genuflecting to a pro-Putin president. We are what survives and thrives after the last hurrah of rogue regimes. It's less about Make America Great Again capped kids and more about how we're still abandoning our original Americans to poverty. It's about demeaning cabinet positions and a commerce secretary who hasn't a clue about America's daily bread. Nonetheless... Because of Trump's shutdown, we now must face that to America's peril, hundreds of thousands of overworked Americans with too little savings and too little benefits are only two paychecks away from potential homelessness. Listen, we've all made mistakes when jumping to simplistic conclusions over superficial first impressions. But falling for a candidate allied with a foreign power indulges in the worst lie of all, the lie we tell ourselves about being superior to any life form on earth. Yes, our founding fathers expected exceptionalism would free people of their land-owning class, gender, and race to self-govern with the proviso of an electoral college to prevent mob rule. But America's founding fathers couldn't have imagined a Russian hack in the White House. However, in 2019 and 2020, national maturity suggests we cease and desist ceding permission for any screen size to spy on or shape our opinions and self-perceptions around our least common denominators. 156 years after our Declaration of Independence evolved into Lincoln's more perfect union, we're beckoned to passionately live a life of excellence, focusing our energetic endeavors on what's next and new, because indeed we are better than our current GOP debacle. I remember even during holiday celebrations, when my grandmama spoke, raucous yield the room to the wisdom found in listening silently. I've often seen her in the inner glow and intense stare of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But media hyperbole is wrong. There are no winners and no victory for America until we stop allowing arrogance to suck our sustenance and humanity off the exceptional rainbow-lit path forward. Our recent past and possible encore of a Trump-induced national endurance test chasing phantom southern border threats, has gifted us this knowledge. It is not the first time we've been designated expendable by the moneyed powerful, but now we know America's greatness, like patriotism, is an honest overture constantly welcoming different points of view while heroically walking in the skin of diversity's justice for all. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices. Heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.